Welcome to Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tarmody, where it's all about health optimization, anti-aging, longevity, and being the very best you can be. Brought to you by lisatarmody.com. Hey everyone, Lisa Tarmody here and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. Today I have a luminary in the world of anti-aging and longevity. His name is Phil Mikens and he has been in the space since uh, 30-something years and he really knows all of the latest in technologies. He interviews the greatest professors and people for his magazine called Aging Matters. He also has a supplement range that uses the bioregulators, which is the main topic of today. Today's conversations. So what uh, you would have heard me in the last couple of uh, podcasts talking about peptides. Well, these are bioregulator peptides, so slightly different um, based on the work from Professor Cavinson. So we get into that and that's out of Russia. So some very interesting things. But Phil is across everything in aging. He's really a minefield of information. He runs the Profound Health Summit over in England every year where some of the, the top people go and uh, speak. Um, so just an absolutely fascinating man. Um, so I do hope you enjoy this episode. If you get value out of it, please give us a rating and review. That really helps the show. And if you really want to help us stay free to air, please support the show. If you can go to patron.lisatarmity.com and for the price of a cup of coffee or two a month, you can support the show. There's also some exclusive member benefits, but really it's about uh, supporting us, helping keep this great content free to air because it takes a hell of a lot of work to do, I can tell you, um, getting getting this information out there. Um, as usual, also check out what I do. Head over to lisatarmity.com, check out all the programs that I have, the DNA testing, the epigenetic testing, hormone testing testing, thyroid, all of those sorts of good things, health optimization coaching. Uh, also have a hyperbaric oxygen therapy clinic here in Taranaki. So if you're here and you want to try that out, if you have uh, an ailment that you need help with, please reach out to support at lisatarmity.com and we can inform you all about hyperbaric oxygen therapy um, or if you've got any questions. Um, I hope you enjoy this episode. I've been waiting to talk to Phil for a long, long time. He's an absolutely wonderful man, and you'll really enjoy this interview. So over to the show now with Phil Mikens. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. Today's episode is going to be absolutely fascinating. I've been looking forward to having this gentleman on for quite a long time, studying his work. He's absolutely amazing. He's a luminary in this anti-aging longevity space and has been for decades, um, author of the Aging Matters magazine. Uh, you run your own shops. Phil Mikens, welcome to the show. Fantastic to have you uh, here Hello, today. Lisa. <laughs> oh, what a great, what a great uh, show to be on and be with you. And we're probably at the exact opposites on planet Earth, but isn't it fantastic? You know, I'm in England, you're in New Zealand, but yeah. I mean, it's fantastic to talk to you, and I, I'm look, I'm looking forward to it too. Oh, and you've got your blue light blocking glasses on because it's evening where you are. Very good. <laughs> I approve. <laughs> um, Phil, can you just give people a bit of a background? You know, yeah, you've 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 been in the space for decades, but how did you get here? You know, how did you get to be where you are now? Well, my personal story is not uncommon. Um, there's two parts to it, basically, for me, in, in terms of my original, original interest when, when I was still a teenager. Uh, one was um, 
I always thought I was aging faster than my friends for various reasons. And I used to question why, why is this happening to me and not happening to my mates uh, was, was one side of it. Uh, and then a bit later on, I had to visit one of my uncles uh, in the hospital and he was fully cognizant, but because of his age, they put him in a geriatric ward. Now, just very quickly to point out to people, the correct meaning of the word geriatric just means one thing. It means a person who's 65 or older. Doesn't doesn't mean they're incapacitated in any way. I mean. Yeah. So he had to be in there. Yeah, I can't remember what he had now, some sort of leg problem, I think. Um, and he and and so I used to spend quite a bit of time with him, you know, chatting and I don't know, playing chess and other things we did together while he was in the ward. Uh, but I noticed the other people or some of the other people in the ward and the state they were in, most of whom had regressed to when they were children. And it was an eye opener for me as a young man to think, my goodness, is this the future we have? Um, and I, on that point, I sometimes think that all schools should do two things to the children. One, take them at least one day to a prison, show them what life in a prison is like, because it, the message there being you don't want to end up in one of these, do you? And, and the other one is take them to a geriatric ward with the same message. You don't want to end up in one of these, do you? So come on, help us fix this problem. Yes. Um, so with that in mind, and a, bit, and a bit later on, as I was going through school and, and then to college, et cetera, my eldest brother started a nutritional company. Um, he'd actually met the founders of the Life Extension Foundation wow. uh, in America. And that I'm talking now in the very early 80s. And he really picked this up and ran with it. Um, and so he started that in the UK. And of a, out from that, I ended up learning. I went off into that area. My, my, first, uh, my first learnings were in, 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 in the early 80s were in food and vitamin technology, which <laughs> I think degree. we call nutrition, I think, yeah. today. And I've got a story there I'll tell you later on. And then after that, I over the course of some years, I ended up doing pharmacy and I ended up doing uh, biochemistry. So it was over a span of like 10 years. So I was working and then going back to university and then working and so on and so forth. Um, but once this sort of came to the late 80s, early 90s, we realized that there needed to be access to a lot of these very exciting materials that we were learning about. And I'm now talking for those younger folks watching pre-internet. You know, <laughs> uh, it wasn't so easy to find stuff. You really did have to go down the library to find stuff. And so very early on, we recognized the need. Now I know every dog and his, every man and his dog's got one, but back in the 90s, we were one of the first on online, if you will, um, internet pharmacies. Wow. Uh, but we weren't doing regular run-of-the-mill. We weren't interested in statins, antidepressants. We were doing things that we felt were aimed or were in demand for preventative and regenerative medicine. Wow, back then. And so that's where IS, as we call the group now, the IS group, which stands for International Anti-Aging Systems, that's where we focus our efforts in in numerous ways. So, um, you know, we try very hard to get the information out to people and also to help them get hold of certain materials if they require them. So and that's I what like you've been yeah. as tool makers. 
<laughs> toolmakers, you're toolmakers. Yeah. You're bringing the things that are that are at the cutting edge. And this is the thing: you're at the very cutting edge. You, with your magazine, you get to interview the leading people in the world on the current, latest, what's happening in the in the research laboratories and what's going on. Um, you've 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 managed to get some of the the greatest people uh, interviewed there. How has that work been? You also run um, a summit. Uh, an anti-aging longevity summit, a profound summit, is it called? I think. Today, it's referred to as the Profound Health Summit. Yep. Um, that's going to be next one's taking place in May in England, May next year. And anyone just type in profoundhealthsummit.com and you'll find it. Um, so yeah, and over the years, I've I've helped summits or conferences in different countries, in, including Monaco and. Thailand and America. We need and your help. I, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm I, organizing I one. I need your help. <laughs> I think it's a good idea. Good idea. And, um, you know, because it's all about networking, getting people together to share ideas and, and share resources, etc. And, um, you know, I've, I've been I, I, in my past, I've been extremely lucky. I mean, I had the honor just as one example of introducing to the stage, because I've done a lot of moderating in my time, uh, the late great Professor Denham Harnham. Well, Denham Harnham was the originator of the free radical theory of aging, you know, back in the fifties. Wow. Wow. So I have met some of the, some of the greats and I do have my own heroes, it, various doctors and authors and researchers in the field. Uh, some of which I'm very pleased to say are still very much with us. <laughs> yes, and doing some wonderful work. And and I definitely would like to, you know, get your insights on that because it is a mission of mine to late next year to try to get a, a longevity sub, um, conference going down here. Um, right. And I've already got the speakers sort of lined up or many of the speakers. We'd love you to come down. Of course, you can ride your motorbike around the South Island while you're here. Um, so that might be a draw card. Um, <laughs> but I think it's important, like New Zealand needs a uh, uh, to be thrown into this space in a bigger way where we're sort of um, lagging behind in, in, in awareness. And it's really about getting the awareness of the space, the longevity, biohacking, anti-aging. You can live longer, better space. Um, and, and the great things that are going on. So, you know, off air, we might have a chat about that <laughs> a bit further. There, there are obstacles, obviously. And, yeah. and honest with you, the biggest obstacle is regulation because yeah. most people agree there is great science. There are great professional people. There's great protocols, even great products available today. Uh, but where's the space that will let you do it all? It doesn't yeah. exist. Some countries no. let you do this. Some countries let you do that. And so there's been a big challenge uh, to find a space that will do that. And I'd love to think that New Zealand could do it, although my personal belief has always been it will be a smaller country. Um, I was in the Bahamas earlier in the year and they're really moved. They're really motivated. Cyprus is really motivated. Uh, so it might be a smaller country that will end up being first to do it to open up these things yeah and and it is like already we we, you know without getting into down to that rabbit hole um uh, we've got issues you know um and it's difficult for us to get access to one of the the real um the missions that i've been on the last eight last eight years trying to get things for my mum the things that i know are going to be 
beneficial to her. Uh, and yeah. we've done amazing, done miracles. I mean, the doctors right. have absolutely gobsmacked at what we've achieved, right. but I've been hamstrung uh, often by the limitations of what I can actually get in. And I have other doctors who are prescribing stuff and we just can't get it in, you know, and it's frustrating as hell. Um, living here but it's you know we just keep working on it we'll just keep on the positive side of working towards um, uh, getting deep into the laws because the authority will not tell you no it's very comp and they don't know they don't know about a lot of them don't know no, no, they just true. don't know. Like these, like, and this is the, the one of the challenges, and we'll get off the subject in a second, but is that fact that they're still working out what to do with the internet, you know, let alone what to do with peptides or bioregulators or, you know, some of the cutting yeah. edge stuff that's happening. It's very hard to keep up with legislation when you've got science going on, uh, and it's going to get worse because AI is now come and we're going to even be speeding up the process by which we can yes. um, have an understanding of a lot more things. But let's go and talk um, bioregulators. Now, this is a, a, a hot topic that I've been studying. I've been studying peptides. I'm in love with peptides. Uh, and I'm also starting to fall in love with bioregulators. Haven't got as much experience in the bioregulator space, but been um, studying what you've been talking about and, and many others in this area. And the, the cool thing about bioregulators is a lot of them are um, – uh, be able to be taken orally or nasal sprays and they're a little bit more accessible in that sense of the word or those supply chain issues we can get into later. But can you just give us a definition of what is a bioregulator peptide and well, what is a peptide and then what is a bioregulator peptide and what, where does the science come and how does it work? Yeah. Okay. Well, all um, the things that we might talk about today, whether it be peptides or proteins or even hormones, they're all made up of amino acids, mm. um, and there's not so many of those, but um, that's what they are. And when two amino acids can join, that's the moment they become a peptide. So it's oh. two or more amino acids. And then it starts to become how long is this chain? So if it gets long enough, we might start calling them proteins. And even longer, we might start calling them various hormones. Just to give one example, human growth hormone is made up of 191 amino acids. Wow. Now, that's a lot. Okay, mm-hmm. that's a lot. And it means one fundamental thing. It means that if you want to get that into your body, you cannot take it orally. It mm-hmm. has to be injected because it's just too unstable. Mm-hmm. However, as that chain gets smaller, uh other possibilities present themselves now bioregulators are by definition very small chains of amino acids they are in fact two three or four amino acids okay now it doesn't mean to say that every single chain two three four amino acid chain is a bioregulator there is another terminology to the word and i'll get into that and all of this work has been done or principally has been done by the St. Petersburg Institute of Biogerontology under the direction of Vladimir Kavinson. And it's more than 40 years old because the original work used to be a Soviet military secret. Anything Um, military is interesting. It is indeed very (laughs) much, very much so because those guys, and that's true today as it was then are always able to do things that in the public domain we cannot and that's true of whether it's the american military or british military and probably the new zealand military as well 
I give one quick example. I, I'm guessing a lot of people out there have heard of a drug called modafinil or modafinil, mm-hmm. prefer to call it that. And it's been um, some people refer to it as a smart drug. Doesn't really matter what you want to call it, <clears throat> but what it what it does, it's revolutionised the treatment of narcolepsy, which is treat, sleeping in the daytime, and cataplexy, which is sudden fatigue. Uh, we don't need to perhaps go into the details of it, but it has, and a lot of people are aware of it. Mm. That used to be a French military secret. Uh huh. Didn't okay? know that. So it, exactly. So they were given to their like the French Foreign Legion when they, I mean during the first Iraq War. The French Foreign Legion were taking modafinil. They were behind the enemy lines. They could stay alert and awake and et cetera, et cetera. So just to point out, the military are always playing with things. They're always ahead of the game, uh, et cetera. So this, what we're talking about now, has a long history. It has loads of published information, most of which is now in English, as, as well as Russian, of course. And it's been on several markets you know, the Russian speaking markets like Russia, like Kazakhstan and yes, the Ukraine for quite a few years. Um, and the oral versions are food supplements. So as a result, they have been used by millions of people mm-hmm. and they've seen no serious side effects. OK, which is pretty which remarkable is important. Well. Very important. And I just want to point out that because they're so small and because also they're nano sized, the studies have been done. They are absorbed when taken orally. That's because a amazing. All oh, these peptides need to be injected or at the very least as a nasal spray or maybe sublingual if you're lucky. But no, these short chains, these very short chains can be absorbed through the stomach. So there's a lot of positives to them. So why, why is it, you know, like I've had a couple of people on the podcast recently, like Ryan Smith and Natalie Nidham and, and um, Dr. Yerth, Elizabeth Yerth, um, talking peptides and absolutely in love with peptides. But most, not all, but most of the peptides have to be taken um, subcutaneous injection, which puts, yeah. puts a lot of people off, makes it more difficult. You know, how do I dose it? How do I do this? You have to be under the guidance of a, a medical professional um you know highly recommend that for everything by the way but this is uh a a little bit more of a difficult thing to do right and so when i came across the bioregulators i'm like "Mm, this is too too good to be true uh i can get some of those benefits and in fact um the, the the bioregulators if i understand correctly go straight into the actual nucleus the dna of the nucleus Right. Is that correct? Uh, right. Whereas the peptides are sort of more on the in the mitochondrial, working on the mitochondrial, working in the the, the cell level. But this is actually going right in. There's, they're they, 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 the Russians have incredible slides where you even have to put on three D glasses to see the interaction with, if you will, the peptide key, the bioregulator key, and the specific DNA, because that's what they are. They're highly specific gene switches. And here's the thing. They're in food. These these peptides are exactly. in food. Yeah. Uh, and so, in fact, a book has been written. Here's a copy of it here, which is a scientific book. It's called Peptides in the Epigenetic Control of Aging. Got it. And to me... <laughs> It, it was like a light bulb moment because this is one of my little stories, forgive me. But when I was doing that food and vitamin course in London way many, many years ago on the overhead projector, give you an idea how, how long ago it was, 
the lecturer put up a pie chart and he said, this is typically what you find in food. And there was X percentage of vitamins, X percentage of minerals, X percentage of oils. I prefer to call them oils and fats. Agree. Uh, but most of it was fiber, you see. And I remember on that very day having a thought. And my thought was, well, fiber must be pretty important because more than 50 percent of food is fiber and nature doesn't waste anything. And be bear in mind, in 1981, nobody was really talking fiber then. Right. OK. So I had this thought, well, fiber could be a lot more important than we think it is. And my second thought was, well, maybe they've missed something. Mm -hmm. So fast forward to about 2009, 2010, when I first uh, heard Professor Cameron lecture, which happened to be in Istanbul, and he talked about how these short chain peptides are in foods, how they act as very specific gene switches, and that how they were a major part in the epigenetics of food. To me, it was the light bulb moment. Yeah. It took me back to the classroom where I asked the question, have they missed something? And, the, and I think the answer to that is yes, they had missed the fact that foods contain peptides and they act as gene switches. So <clears throat> you are what you eat. You can't get more than I, it can activate a gene or it can silence a gene. There's so no middle ground. Yeah, this is a this is um really really important. So a gene switch. So we we you know I've studied genetics and and um epigenetics and we 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 are able we we inherit the genes from mum and dad, but really it's the epigenetic uh, influences everything in the environment, everything that's above the genetics that actually will will you know write the story because that will actually tell us like it's you know the genetics loads the gun but it's the environment that pulls the trigger is the same and so these are the things that can turn these genes on and off like a switch um yeah. you said they can only be on or off when we look at the Horvath clock and the DNA methylation biological aging clocks don't they have, and I had Ryan Smith on a couple of weeks ago, so I do not have my head around the science, but do they not have varying degrees of on or offness for the want of a better, you know, I've methylation? Not, a, I've not, well, hmm, could be in the, Might in, be the mixing in, my... in the process because it doesn't happen instantaneously. So, in fact, there's a big call out at the moment about how long does it take to move from one position to another position right so i think that that is feasible in in that respect but this is another thing that even i think professor cabinson can't quite explain it at this stage how can the same peptide know when to activate that gene and when yeah. to silence modulating this is Mod the modulating part it's a huge thing so the example i always give is your thyroid gland so there's our thyroid gland in our necks. Um, I think a lot of us know if you have too little thyroid, it's called hypothyroidism. And you and, and many adults have this problem, many, many, many. Yeah. Uh, and it can cause all sorts of problems, your temperature control, your general state of metabolism, how you sleep, etc. And a handful of people, it's less common, but there are people who are hyperthyroid. And they tend to be the opposite. They're, they have a lot of energy. They're too active. Some people refer to them as having the deer in the headlights because their yeah. eyes are big. Their eyes pop some out. People, some people think the Mona Lisa was hyperthyroid by looking at her. As a, as <laughs> an, <laughs> but they tend to have the opposite. And yet, if you use the thyroid bioregulator, 
if you're hypothyroid, it will activate those genes and you will endogenously start producing more thyroid hormones. But if you're hyperthyroid, it will silence them and you'll reduce. It actually puts you within, how should we call it, a normalized. And, and I think that helps to explain their safety, because if one was to take a thyroid hormone, clearly you're putting that hormone in, into your blood and it will have an action. The peptides through the genes are instructing the thyroid to, to activate or to silence, but they're not forcing anything. If mm. one is taking a hormone, it's a, there's a definite need for monitoring you know, yeah, to have absolutely. tests or whatever, yep. because you, if you keep up too high a level of many hormones, you get um, what's called downregulation, yes. where you could end up, your own thyroid in this case, could end up stop making thyroid because he says, oh, this stuff's everywhere. We've got too much of it. But that doesn't happen with the bioregulators. Wow. So that is, I think, one of the most fascinating parts of of this technology and this is where where it's like super exciting because like we've uh, you know to date we've had all the pharmaceutical you know drugs that have come out which have their place and their time but they tend to be pushing on a one pathway and they're having a lot of collateral damage for the want of a better description. So things that are unwanted implications and, uh, you know, the example of blood pressure medication, if you give someone who has high blood pressure, blood pressure medication, it'll drop their blood pressure. But if you give someone who's normal blood pressure, blood pressure medication, it'll make it low. So it's yeah. forcing it in, in that di downward direction. So yeah. um, whereas with the regulators, you are, you're just making the, the, the body. So it's going a step lower, isn't it? Or a step higher in the, in the hierarchy, basically, where the body's like just given the, the permission or the ability to actually regulate itself. Oh, no, he needs more or he needs less of this and therefore brings it back into balance. Uh, and that's a very exciting concept because, you know, I'm very excited by hormones as well, you know, bioidentical hormones and what they can do for people. I think that they're very powerful, amazing things, but we do need to monitor because we don't want to be pushing too hard or one way or the other way, you know, um, not having hormones in the mix, well, then you're just going to age a lot faster yeah. and have all the downsides of heart risk and brain risk it and is, everything. There's no doubt that bioidentical hormones, particularly bioidentical hormones, are incredibly powerful tools, but they're also very complicated. You only have to look to the work of somebody like Dr. Thierry Hertog in Belgium, who is an incredible endocrinologist, but, and he has an incredible knowledge, but I think there's handfuls of people like him mm. because it is very complicated once you introduce, just to come back to the thyroid again, there are four principal thyroid hormones. We'll use the T names, T1, T2, T3, T4. Mm -hmm. And yet some countries only use T4. Yeah, some I know. Men use T3. And virtually none of them use T1 and T2, unless you're taking a natural desiccated thyroid like Armour which comes from pigs. And there in that you get T1, T2, T3, T4. But that's what the peptide's doing. It's instructing your own thyroid gland. So it's going to get the mix right. You're not forcing it in one direction or another. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. And when, you know, if I look at liver, so, so extracts like liver extract or adrenal extract, 
that that have actually come from the 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 liver of a cow usually or a pig or or whatever um is that a crude form of bioregulator that's not been refined enough to say this or that but yeah i have i have been asked this question before and you know in the beginning of my career and and let's be honest organ extracts were the first big thing in the 1920s and 1930s organ extracts were de rigor you know they were the thing Mm. and in my early career there was a lot of demand for organ extracts and then it moved on to different things bioidentical hormones obviously in more recent years and now I think peptides um, and other things but I won't won't go into those Um, so yes I think there is an argument that obviously if you uh, I'm going to forget you Weston Price there was a Mm. man called Weston Price who many many years ago went and studied native tribes many of which don't exist anymore and he discovered a number of things and there was one in particular that I remember I think it was a South African tribe, no, South American tribe, if I remember rightly. Um, And they were eating the necks of animals Mm -hmm. and and they were consuming the thyroid glands. And he was basically saying how they had no thyroid issues. And if you think about our forebears, they ate every part of an animal. Nothing was wasted, right? We become very fussy now. Oh, I won't eat the black meat of a chicken, you know, or, or whatever it is. Whereas they were eating the organs, the glands, and and such like. And so there's no doubt they were consuming the hormones that were coming out of those glands and probably the peptides as well and other aspects of it. So, yes, I think if you eat glands or specific types, in this case of meats, you will be receiving certain peptides. There's no question of that. Um, it's just the old story that if you take the supplement, you are, of course, getting a much more condensed and yeah. measured dose, obviously. And, and so, you know, if we go back to the bioregulator story and, and Professor Cavinson's work, so he tell us a little bit his story because it's a very interesting story uh, and some of the massive research studies that he did back in the day would be impossible to do now. And so why why is this compelling? And I know we're, you know, the war between Russia and Ukraine and the Cold War and that. But let's put that aside for a second and just look at the science, because I always love to just talk about the science, not sure. the politics. <laughs> let's not bring that into it. Let's right. just look at the story and, and and tell us a little bit about that. Somebody very famous said, I really must go back and find out who it was. And I think it, no matter where you're from in the world, we can probably make this statement. And they said, I'm proud of my country. I'm just ashamed of my government. uh, (laughs) Yes. There's a lot of good citizens in every country. Yeah, Yeah, there we go. Okay. Um, With that one. But though, Press Camson back in the 80s was a colonel um, and he was a medical colonel and he received a call from the Kremlin. And they said, uh, because he was at the Institute, of course, in St. Petersburg, and he received a call from the Kremlin and they basically said, uh, that the Americans had developed some new battlefield weapons. One was a laser that if it was shone across the, the the battlefield, anyone seeing it would go blind. They said, find something that would fix that. Uh, and also they noticed that their submariners who were staying on the floor beds for months on time and those in missile silos were aging fast. Now, perhaps that's not surprising when you consider they're maybe sitting 10 feet away from a nuclear reactor. <laughs> You know, yeah. or some sort of nuclear uh, some uh, radiation, but nonetheless, they were concerned about them and they wanted to find something. 
Now, um, they went down some blind alleys. They didn't go to the first thing they saw. But they had one advantage, actually, which I was only made aware of fairly recently. The famous Pavlov. I think everyone has heard the story of Pavlov and the dog salivates. Well, he came from that same institute many years ago. And he was actually he's actually the man that is recognized as discovering um, short chain peptides. Mm. Uh, So that institute was aware of these short chain peptides. And I think that may have been an influence for them to go down that path. Um, So. Of course, they did in vitro studies and then they did animal studies and then they ended up doing human studies. And as you rightly said, uh, Lisa, they did some of the biggest human studies you've ever heard of. Um, the biggest one being um, uh, Gazprom workers, the people in the oil and gas business. And they there were over 11,000 of them who were monitored over 12 years. So and that one group of uh, 3000 who took uh, vitamin pills and as a placebo and then a, the other eight nine thousand taking uh, the various peptides and then they saw the outcomes and they even followed up on some of those people even longer they even took a, over a thousand people and followed them up almost to the ends of their lives in some cases wow so and they found and I, I suppose I should tell you that the outcome of those trials was that those who took the peptides had one third of the morbidity so in other words, they had one third of the problems that the wow. people in the placebo group had. And unbelievably, in later life, they had one third of the mortality. Insane. And these are people living in Siberia under stressful, difficult conditions as well. And 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 they had these bioregulators for three years and then it was stopped. But that yeah. had a long-term consequence even 15 years later. It, so what, were the, what were the ones that they were on? Because uh, they were on a well, combination of three, weren't they? They were. There was there was a few, but the three principal ones that kind of come up again and again were the pineal, the blood vessel, and the thymus. Mm-hmm. Those those three seem to be the most replicated. Um, there were other tests. There were uh, tractor workers in Kazan, which is very much central Russia. Uh, I think there were about 3,600 or 800 people in that trial. Very similar results. There were studies in Kiev, again, in the hundreds of people, similar results. And what I'm pleased to also say, because everyone goes, yeah, yeah, but it was a Soviet Union and we don't trust them and all the rest of it. Uh, Well, there's an American doctor now by the name of Bill Lawrence. Bill was in Atlanta. And for more than four years, in fact, probably five years now, he's been replicating the Russian protocols yeah. and he got the same results. Only he's been doing a lot more tests. He's been doing the Horvath test, the epigenetic test. And yeah. he's been and the telomeres. Yeah, yeah. So because he's got more advanced technology now to measure things like telomere length. Actually, I had Dr. Suzanne Turner on just a couple of days ago. And she's actually a part of the study. She's a, she's a incredible, uh, yeah. functional medicine doctor herself who uses bioregulators and peptides. Uh, and she's actually a part of his study. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So, so I was very interested to learn about Dr. Bill Lawrence and, and I'd love to interview him. Gosh, yeah. it would be amazing. Well, Bill, last time I spoke to Bill, which a couple of months ago now, um, he said he's got over 120 people in the trial now. He started wow. with 39 and um most of them are doctors 
Amazing. Amazing. And Dr. Suzanne's one of them. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and if we can replicate what Dr. Uh, Professor Kevinson was seeing, then we'd have a validation in modern day times in America by an American doctor, uh, that this has value, you know, um, because there is pushback in the community. And I've heard lots of people say, well, that's Russia and how do we trust them? And, you know, and then there's the translation problems and all of that stuff that you've helped actually with Professor Kevinson to, to, to bring those translations so that we do have access. Um, so, so let's go now into the bioregulators themselves. And you've got like, I think it's 21 bioregulators and they basically match the organ systems. Now it's very, the nomenclature is very, very confusing. I'm still not got yeah, a grip yeah. on it. Um, yeah. and there's different types and different brands and things like that. But if people are interested in doing this, what's the most accessible point for them to get these? Um, I've, I've, been on epitalin um i'm um hoping to get the the ovary one but it's all out of stock at the moment all the stuff that you 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 have in your range is yeah, it's a, a temporary blip a temporary in blip in the supply chain so we should be able to get this i'm very yeah. very interested in the thyroid uh yes. work with a lot of people with thyroid issues and it's very tough and i've got a mum actually at the moment who has a problem with the thyroid we've got everything else is looking pretty bloody good but the thyroid and we, we're putting in quite high doses of uh, t3 uh and t4 um but because she's got Hashimoto's and, and so on, would uh, the thyroidogen, I believe is the name of the thyroid yeah, uh, peptide? Right. There are different, the names do get very confusing. I do yeah. totally accept that because they have different names, whether they're from natural sources or synthetic sources. And then they've got different names, whether they're sublingual or injectable, although there's not many of those available, or oral. So it does get rather confusing i'm afraid so that's why when you hear me talk invariably i say the thyroid the pineal i keep talking about the, the organ system yeah but it, it would be good to know like when we're going to actually try these to buy these supplements because they are supplements they're mostly oral or, or um to know what one we're looking at <laughs> Just interrupting the show to let you know about our patron community here and the podcast at Pushing the Limits. We've been going for eight years and we really need your support to keep the show on air and free to everybody so that everyone gets this fantastic information uh, from all these great doctors, scientists, athletes, business people from all around the world. So we would love you to come and join us. You get a lot of exclusive member benefits when you do, but really it's about supporting the show and keeping it on air. And for a coffee or two a month, that would be fantastic if you can come and join us. You can go to patron.lisatamati.com. That's patron.lisatamati.com and check it all out. So we were talking about the, the 21 bioregulators that are available and the different organs that we relate to them and how difficult the nomenclature is. So yes. let's go through some of the actual organ systems. So we were talking about thyroid in particular. So yeah. can you give me a little bit of, you know, because it's one that I'm specifically looking for to get for mum, because of the modulatory side of it, does that yeah. um, tell me a little bit about thyreogen, I think it's called? Yeah, the it's absolutely right. So it's a gene switch for thyroid, as we've described, it's a bioregulator. 
So if folks are low in thyroid, it will raise them up. But if they're too high in thyroid, it will lower them down. But let's also bear in mind that if you're in the normal zone, it'll do nothing for you. Mm. It's not going to force the issue. Bodybuilders don't get very excited about these things because in the example of testosterone, they want to have a super logical level. Won't happen. But normal folks who, especially aging folks who want to say, I want to maintain a good, healthy level. This is where they really come into their own with this safety profile where you I'm not saying you become laissez-faire in in your attitude. And as you pointed out earlier, Lisa, you should always be working with a health professional uh, and know something about what you're doing. But you don't have to be quite so scared about them as you would do if you were using injections, hardcore drugs and and various hormones, of course. Um, So that's the good news. One thing to point out, uh, if you haven't got the gland or the tissue, it ain't going to work. Right. So if you've had the thyroid there are, there removed. There who've had their thyroids removed. And, and so that's, they're going to have to go on the thyroid hormone. There's no choice for those folks. Uh, and the other thing to bear in mind is <clears throat> if you are taking uh, hormones, drugs for your thyroid, in this case, you should, and then you go on to the peptide as well, then monitor yourself extra closely. Because obviously you're still, if you're still putting those hormones in at the same level all the time, almost certainly you're going to have to bring them down. Gotcha. And possibly even come off them. I have seen that in some cases. So just be aware of that. Mm. Now, just a nice little thing you may, uh, you, your listeners, I hope, want, may, may like to know. The th- I like to look at the old fashioned ways of measuring things. Uh, so before there were blood tests, the thyroid was very simply measured, and we can all do this. And that is you get up in the morning, take your temperature straight away and write that down. And over about two weeks, have a look at that list and see which number appears most often. You will be gobsmacked at how close those numbers are. So I'm going to talk in Celsius. Anyone got to get mm-hmm. their Fahrenheit? You know, we're in Celsius over here. Uh, But a good thyroid in an adult is between 36.3 and 36.7. If you're over 36.7, rising from bed morning temperature, you're likely to be hyperthyroid. If you're under 36.3, you're likely to be hypothyroid. And believe you me, many people are for various reasons. Now, there was a the late great Dr. Broder Barnes wrote a book and that book um was called something i may get this slightly wrong but uh hypothyroidism the undiagnosed epidemic mm. and in that book which he probably wrote i think in the 80s or early 90s um he suggested that uh 50 or more of the adult population was hypothyroid wow okay now his pupil uh, is a lovely gentleman by the name of Rick Wilkinson, Dr. Rick Wilkinson, and Rick's still very much alive and kicking and practices medicine in Washington State. And I interviewed him some time ago, uh, and I asked him that same question. I said, you know, you're a pupil of Broder Barnes. Broder Barnes said that more than 50% of the adult population was hypothyroid. Is it better today? And he went, no, it's worse. Mm. And, and he said it's over 60%. Wow. So... It's a lot of people out there suffering with a weak thyroid and 
they don't possibly realize that if you just get it back up to normal parameters, many good things happen. Yeah, and it's underdiagnosed because mostly the doctors will just look at the TSH and if you're really lucky, a, a T4, uh, occasionally a T3, but they're not looking at the whole picture. And then you've got the Hashimoto's. So when it comes to Hashimoto's, where the body's attacking its own thyroid um, tissue, um, do would the with the bioregulator there help there the thymus uh, the, the the thyroid bioregulator help there? They do, although you've got to be more cautious. In that's the one possibly area autoimmune diseases. You've got to be more cautious in your approach. In other words, you don't rush on to a high dose. Right. You you, you would take it more cautiously. And and by the way, just as a side point here, because I work with the. I have worked with Dr. Walter Pierre Pauli from Italy. Mm. And um, this is uh, some people's thyroid problems aren't thyroid problems. They're pituitary problems because yes. the pituitary gland needs to release thyropin releasing hormone, mm. which releases TSH, which releases the thyroids. So it can actually be not a, a thyroid problem, a pituitary problem. Wow. And that's a whole story for another day about TRH. I think we could actually. I just just scraping the 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 the, the top of the iceberg there. Um, to, studying Dr. Walter Piapaldi's work and the TRH, and I haven't got a full grip on it whatsoever. But I would be very interested to to talk to you maybe on a separate podcast about the pituitary, the TRH, and the melatonin uh, yeah. research that's coming out because that and and I work with quite a lot of people with brain uh, concussion and and uh, TBIs and, and things. And yes. I think one of the underestimated problems with post-concussive syndromes and things is that the pituitary is offline. It's not doing yeah. what it should be doing, yeah. and that's not yeah. being picked up in the initial. Um, so hormones, of course, you know, uh, mean testosterone levels dropping, uh, women, their, their hormones not, not doing what they should be doing. Um, and that's an undiagnosed thing often as well, I think. Um, yeah. especially here, we don't have spec scans or anything that, uh, you know, people are just so told to rest basically and, um, uh, it's one of my pet peeves. <laughs> uh, the head injuries. Well, There's I, so much I'd we can be doing. I'd love to talk to you about Walter because he's one of the most brilliant men I've ever met in my life. And he's in his 80s now. But, it, of course, he's famous for his work on melatonin. But he's less known for his work on TRH and the hypothalamus as well as the pituitary. So, I, you know, I, he's got something there, really has. Yeah. But, of course, of his age and that he doesn't do as much as he used to do uh you know it's just the way it is but there are some stories about melatonin that are, are, are gobsmackers yeah and maybe we do a whole podcast if you've got time at some point phil in the well, next month or two we actually go deep dive trh dr walter uh and, and oh, melatonin absolutely. because i think yeah. that did a, yeah be happy to I, I consider him a close family friend as well but but i can i think just to bring it back to bioregulators now, yeah about the pineal because melatonin is produced in the pineal so this is you know, there is a there is a link to there's a connection saying. yeah uh, there's a connection um and why is the pineal possibly the most important to date of the bioregulators well, I feel it is the one that is most likely to be lengthening telomeres. So right. I think everyone 
out there is familiar with the, the yep. have longer tenures of more protective then for anyone who doesn't know they're like the aglets on the end of our shoelaces they're a little mm. bit of plastic but in this case they're on the end of chromosomes and so the longer they are the more protective they are because if we didn't have aglets on our shoelaces what would they look like they'd be a mess right. like mm. something similar is between telomeres and chromosome so there's a, a very strong thinking that the longer the telomeres the more protective they are and a lot of people focus and Dr. Lawrence's work and also the Russian work, the Russians showed it uh, not in large numbers of people, because bear in mind in the 90s, 2000s, it was pretty difficult to get hold of, right? But they showed it extended, particularly in mice. uh, But Dr. Lawrence now, you know, in more recent years, has shown it with his actual patients. These are not young people. These are older people. Although I want to point out, so the pineal, I think, is really important. And of course, by using the pineal peptide, you're also increasing your own endogenous production of melatonin. So mm. now I can't speak for New Zealand. In America, of course, we all know you can go down Walmarts and buy melatonin without prescription easy. Here in the UK, you need a prescription. I can't no, speak for New Zealand. We can't. No. We need but a isn't it that the peptide can help your own pineal gland produce more melatonin? and just very, very quickly about the role of melatonin. I have one quote from Walter, which I mm. love. Walter once said to me in his fantastic Italian accent, which sounds like music to our ear, right? I won't do it. Don't worry. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I won't try and do it. Um, he said, Phil, think of the pineal gland, which is about if we if we draw a line from the top of our ears and the middle of our foreheads, you know, the Bindu, the Hindu mm-hmm. spot. That's the third eye. That represents the pineal. Well, if you draw a line there and you draw a line there, you find the center of your brain. That's where the pineal gland is. It's about the size of a pea, pretty small. One of the things it produces, of course, is melatonin. And if you have what melatonin is produced in response to darkness, Mm -hmm. okay, why? Because our body, all the other glands in our body producing whatever hormones need to know if it's day or night. Exactly. It's very simple. And most hormones, not all, but most hormones are produced first thing in the morning. Mm. So that's the impetus to get up and get on with the day. Of course, there are, in some hormones, there are pulsite increases through the day, but normally the big bang is in the morning. Yep. That's all because of melatonin. So when melatonin is high in blood because of darkness, other hormones, if you will, are suppressed. Oh, no. The moment the light comes up and this drops down, everything else comes into action. So once you've got this healthy circadian rhythm, you've yep. got hormonal cyclicity, you've got a strong immune system. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of the people we see are people working on uh, jet aircraft, you know, and especially the ladies because their periods are all over the place mm. or they're having trouble with their fertility. Because their bodies, you know, one minute they're Australia, the next yeah, minute they're Yeah, the time in. zones. It's just horrific for, for the body to, Exactly. Yeah. In I fact, a... I read once that, sorry, I'll end with this one, then we'll carry on with yeah. other things. But I read once that the body needs, naturally, it needs to recover from one hour time difference. I was just going to say that story, one, one day. It is a day. So yeah. if you and I are travelling between London and Auckland, you know, it's 12, 12 days. days. Right? Without 
using melatonin you can shorten it by using melatonin but so that's of course in the old days when we all went on a ship that wasn't a problem no but we yeah we're because of we, we were changing time zones and and this is and, and and I'm seeing lots of people that are mucked up. Uh, the hormone cyclicity is, is all mucked up because of the way that we, um, you know, ancient DNA, we used to be in caves and huts and when it went dark, we had a fire and that was red yeah. light. And that's why you're wearing blue light blocking glasses because you don't want blue light at night because that's not the way the world operates. Right. We have blue light during the day and that brings know, cortisol. I hate to mention it, but this is also Russian research. There are crystals within the pineal gland that react to the, to lunar light, but no. lunar light and starlight, of course. It doesn't impede the production of melatonin. And when you think wow. about it, that makes sense because our forebears, nice warm night, sleeping under the tree, you can't have all that starlight and, and moonlight disrupting your sleep. So it doesn't. It's only the sunlight. Wow! I, 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 oh, I didn't know that because I thought moonlight did as well, and you needed to be in a fully blacked-out room um, to get the benefits. No, not moonlight, but there's something else going on there. there. There's a reaction with these crystals that there's something else going on there. But you're absolutely right, Lisa. One of the worst ones is blue light, yeah. and in our bedrooms now, there's a blinking light on the fire alarm and a blinking yeah. light. On the, I don't know the alarm clock or whatever Remote. it is controls that or your 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 blinds are too thin they're letting the light in or your partner is reading or watching some you know in which case you've got to get a blindfold right so you've got to get yourself in a dark space very important very very important and wear your blue light blocking glasses like uh, phil is so fashionably um modeling for us today (laughs) (laughs) and i'm sitting under a daylight lamp (laughs) because i'm inside in the daytime right so and i'm not getting my so I'm getting what I can when I'm working, yeah. Uh, yeah. and then I'll get outside when I can. We need, I think, two hours a day of of exposure to to being outdoors. You know, like yeah. we don't want to overexpose our skin, but we if want you to get enough. Get more sunlight in the day, you make more melatonin at night. Exactly, and this is why uh, people who work uh, outside, you know, why you see, like my dad was a classic. He was always outdoors in the garden all day, every day, working in the house or the garden, you know, and um, he was a smoker, terrible smoker, like two packets a day. And eventually, you know, he got arteriosclerosis, arterial stiffness, and um, he he died from an arterial um, aneurysm, um, aortic aneurysm. My father died of emphysema. And and thankfully – and possibly partly because of that, I've never smoked. No, so, me neither. <laughs> I think that going back to the children, seeing about what can happen yeah. is a great way to set your life on the right path. But the, with Dad, the, the the fact that despite his bad lifestyle of smoking and eating pies and fish and chips way too often and cakes because mm-hmm. <laughs> he loved his food, he was healthy up until the day when he went down with that. Um, right. that break. And I think it's because he spent all day out day. He, he was strong, powerful, functionally fit. Yep. Uh, and he, his downward call was smoking. Living against nature. We're not in a battle against nature. Living, he was probably grounding himself yep. as well, you yep. know, standing on grass or whatever. And Bare feet all the time. Plenty of sunlight, plenty of plenty of vitamin D production, et cetera, et cetera, having good good sleep at night time. You know, it, it all goes hand in glove, all this stuff. 
Yeah, and he and he was eighty one when he died, and he, he would have lived for another twenty years if he didn't have that particular, you know, because yeah, he had smoked for two packs a day for yeah. fifty something yeah. years, and he still didn't have any lung issues or anything. I mean, he was so so lucky in his unluck, you know, like um, but um, but just to show at the the importance, I think of of being outdoors. We are made to be outdoors working outside and, and unfortunately our days don't allow us that when we're working now on computers and things a lot so I supplement with a bit of extra daylight and then I get outside and get my two hours exposure a day if I can. If you, know? if you ever want to Lisa I'm not going to suggest it today but if you want to ever talk about the work of a guy called Professor Paul Clayton from mm-hmm. the Royal College of Medicine in London and his studies of what we would call the mid-Victorians this is people that were around from sort of 18, 20 T30 to 1850, just pre-industrialization. Everybody's shocked to learn they lived as long as we did. Wow. And and that's taken from the data at the London libraries. Okay. And because everyone assumes oh longevity's going up and up yeah, and up. Because we are medical. It's not anymore. Okay. No, it's on it's not now. And but actually there's a blip in those mid-1800s and that's not accounted for in the generalities. And wow. if you want to know why, I'll go into it because he's he's come up with all the data as to what and part of it was that these guys were hard working, physical hard working, outside all the time. Yeah, nobody had a car, nobody had, you know, you're a rich man if you had a horse. So, you know, there was no gym membership in 1830. <laughs> you, know, you you had to get on you just and what, get- worked all day outside. And and it's functional fitness. It's getting down on the floor, it's pulling, it's pushing, it's doing all these functional movements. And we replicate them by going to the gym. But actually, if we were to be doing hard manual labor all our lives, and you look at the people in places like Nepal or, you know, where they're still living like that, they have other problems because often they don't have the best medical care when they do get something and so on. And, and so, but if you look at how healthy they are, how strong they are, how powerful they are, you know, yep. uh, and if you gave them the same medical treatments that we can get hold of, man, they would probably live for a lot longer, yep. I think. Um, probably, yeah, there's something to be said. The comment I made that was getting past childhood diseases. A lot of people, yes. Of course. Once they got into adulthood, I should have pointed that out. They lived as long as we did. I gotcha. Yeah. And that's that 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 brings the statistics because a lot of the people argue, oh well, back in the caveman days, they only lived till they were 30. Yeah, yeah, that's true because they didn't survive the first year of life, usually. Like a lot of people died, so it brought the average down. But if we take out the bat once you were an adult, um, and and I do I do want to go back to the bioregulators, but I did want to mention one thing because before we were talking, uh, before we recorded, we were talking about the dangers of excessive aerobic exercise once you hit your 40s and beyond 35 to 40 you know and onwards and I I heard you talk about that on another podcast and I was like wow okay that's my experience um you said that oxygen and aerobic training is a double-edged sword and that uh you tell me in your own words um why can over exercising and cardiovascular exercise actually be detrimental for your well, of your I will. I'll be, happy, I'll be happy to. And um, there is a there is one other side story to this. There's a thing called hormesis. Yes. And hormesis is um, proposed by Professor Sirish Ratten from Denmark. And uh, basically, it's mild stress. And he basically says 
this is good for you. This is good for us. And when you think about it, your average exercise is exactly that. You know, it, you're, you're doing damage to your muscles in order for them to regrow, re-get stronger, whatever, right? But not in an extreme way, okay? Now, just uh, just as a, an interesting side note, and I will be happy to get into that story we discussed earlier, is the Russians have used these peptide bioregulators in their Olympic teams. Mm. And they use them after the event. Uh, to, and they also use it in their cosmonauts to induce protein synthesis to get recovery back as fast as possible now there's a lovely picture of the young girls you know 18 19 20 years old in of the uh, russian uh, gymnastic team who mm -hmm. won the gold medal in london at the last london olympics and when they came back to russia they took the girls blood and they were horrified to find their telomeres had dramatically shortened and wow. were equivalent to a 40-year-old. Wow. So you looked at this 20-year-old girl, super fit, just won a gold medal in gymnastics, you can imagine, and she had a terrible telomere. And I, the only reasoning is the extreme exercise leading up to the event, at the event, and then trying to recover afterwards. Now, they, they did put them on the peptide bioregulators, and I'm very happy to say that within just a few weeks, they saw a complete recovery wow. and they do a similar thing to the cosmonauts who put themselves in their case in an extreme environment, you know, being in space for a year or whatever it is. So there's a guy called Dr. Rich Lippman, lovely guy, Rich, and he's a, a free radical expert. In fact, he's yeah. been nominated for the Nobel Prize for it. Last oh. a Swedish gentleman. And he he's written a book which can be found on the usual places um called stay 40 and it, i find it a very interesting book because he approaches a number of problems that occur with aging and he offers three solutions and his three solutions are based on if you haven't got a lot of time and money do this because it will help you if you've got a bit of time and money do that because it's better and if you really want to do the gold standard do this so it's like a one, two, wow. three. Awesome. Approach. I like to get it. Yeah, really good. And so there's a section in that book. <clears throat> Rich, of course, describes how our bodies have three natural defense lines for free radicals in our body and how our bodies, you know, uh, naturally make free radicals. OK, now you might be thinking, oh, yeah, if I was near Chernobyl, I'd have a hell of a problem. With yes, th there's always outside influences. Of course, there are. but just in our day-to-day -day living and of course as we get older so the mitochondria are the organelles that produce the energy in every cell of our body and unfortunately the ultimate energy being atp and then as i triphosphate everything all the glucose is is transformed to atp um but like government as we get older the mitochondria become larger and less efficient <laughs> just like government <laughs> uh, <laughs> and unfortunately if you even if you've got let's say you've got poorly performing mitochondria in your liver it can't go and borrow atp from perhaps your kidneys which are performing well it doesn't work like that so it's very dependent upon the, the tissue and the organ they happen to be residing in so what um richard describes in, in that book stay 40 is as we age, how some of these defense mechanisms break down, 
And that if we don't support them with the right nutrition, um, they just get worse and worse. And the mitochondria, by, by using copious amounts of oxygen, at one level, it produces a lot of energy. On another level, it's very damaging. And it can end up producing some of the worst free radicals that we naturally produce, which are the superoxide radical and the hydroxyl radical. So what most people don't know is because of this banding, mm-hmm. you have to take a kind of plethora of antioxidants. You've got good ones like glutathione, yep. right? And it's a good one, but it ain't going to do it all. Mm-hmm. And what you're basically doing is you're kind of forcing it down to the next level. So you might be neutralizing the worst free radicals, but if you don't have it in the next level, you'll just create more in the next level. Wow. So is this why the whole antioxidant, you know, we used to think 20 years ago, oh, we've got too much oxidative damage and free radicals running around. We just put oxidant, antioxidants in the mix and Bob's your uncle, we're going to be healthy forever. You know, that was the, the theory. something years. It doesn't work. <laughs> he create he came up with that free radical theory of aging. He was wow. actually a chemist and he saw it happening in, in oils and stuff. And then he said, Oh, is this ha- is this what's happening in the body? I think it, it's more complicated than that, but there's no question that free radicals are damaging and if they get out of control. So in, in Richard's book, uh it's a very interesting section where he has a bunch of people, about 20 people, middle-aged people, men and women. And they're standing there in their underwear, you see them, and they're all a bit flabby and this and that and the other. And they all decided to go over about a year, 18 months, to go on to an aerobic exercise program, okay? And it was aerobic. They didn't do, as far as I'm aware, they didn't do much in the way no of strength. Yep. No, they just really was aerobics, okay? And what happens is you go through and you read on and suddenly you get to a page and you see these same people again standing in their underwear and they all look better to a person. They've lost weight. They look trimmer. They, you say, oh, well, there you go. That proves it. But what he doesn't do is he doesn't show you their heads, you see. And then you, I didn't notice that the first time I, I looked at it. And then you turn over another page, and now you have the heads before and the heads now. And after a year, 18 months, I would say most of them look 10 years older. The hair no. is gray. The skin is sagging. You know, wrinkles have appeared. Um it very much shows in the face. Um, so Richard's argument was these are older people. They went on to really quite tough aerobic exercise and they didn't protect themselves. Um, and the free so radical damage. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So and they like, should have been up a bit, but. Yeah, I, I think, you know, like um, as an ultra endurance athlete and. You know, I watch some of my colleagues who are now in their 50s and 60s and are still doing the same thing because we can. We can go, like our endurance doesn't drop, our speed drops. Um, but a 19-year-old and a 64-year-old are at the same level of aerobic, you know, VO2 max. So with ultra marathons, you peak at about 48. Uh, and women are is almost as good as the men on the really long stuff. That's another story. But um, so. I have got colleagues that are in their sixties and seventies, even that are still doing massive amounts of um, ultra endurance, and they have very good cardiovascular. They're, they're fit, they're strong, they're lean. What they usually look like is old boots, dried out, um, dehydrated. Often, you know, they look older. 
in the face. And I think partly that's to do with your, you lose fat in your face. And of course, fat in your face makes you look younger. So I wouldn't want to put it all down to the, the free radical, um, theory there, but I do think that. And I know myself personally, 70% of my training is now weight training. Right. It's resistance work, so it's I, building muscle and mobility work. Yep. Oh, it, oh, it bursts, right? It's not prolonged. No, uh, and the short aerobic. So now exactly. 5K run is, is, is my sort of go-to, not a 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70K yeah. run. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who I hadn't seen for a number of years, and then I met him. Um, and at first I didn't want to say anything because he was much thinner, rather drawn, rather, you know, the power. Of I honestly yeah. thought he'd had cancer. I looked at him and thought, oh my God, you've got cancer. And he went, what do you think then? I've been, I've been doing marathons and da, 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 da. And I, I couldn't say anything to him, but I, it, honestly, he didn't look healthy to me. Um, yeah. we discussed a little earlier off, off screen, didn't we, uh, Lisa, that, um, we used to measure arterial stiffness in people. Yeah, this is and, interesting. Uh, and and uh, I noticed that I could start telling, uh, look at these people who were in their 30s, 40s, 50s, who were doing, um, uh, you know, Ironmans and all those sorts of things, extreme aerobics, really pushing themselves, cycling or running or whatever the case may be. And... You looked at them and you thought, well, you're fit. There's no question you're fit, but you don't look quite right. Like you said, you you look older, you, you're quite drawn and da-da-da-da. But when we tested their arterial stiffness, they were always bad. That's and, scary. <laughs> and I, the reason is this. It, it's a hand-in-glove kind of situation. They're generating a lot of free radicals. Then don't have, as they're getting older, they, or they're not doing the right things, the right foods, the right supplements antioxidants negate these things okay uh, and on top of that they're accelerating their their glycation mm. and glycation is where proteins cross-link with oxygen and glucose this is a big problem for diabetics mm. this is where diabetics do not live as long and a measurement for diabetes is to measure how many glycated proteins there are in the individual. Yeah. Well, you get this in extreme sports people as well. Wow. Um, now, I'm aware that these athletes, in the studies I've read, don't live as long as the average person. Mm, and I, and I think it's just tipping the balance. It's, uh, everything in life that yeah. I'm seeing is, is on a curve, and the curve sometimes is you inverted or you. And you want to be in the middle, right? So take a stupid one, drinking water. If you drink too much water, it's dangerous. If you drink too little water, it's dangerous. You want to be in the middle, right? Yeah. And I think that's true of everything we do. You want to be in the middle. You don't yes. want to go to the extremes. Yeah. So, and I just want to mention, if I may, the work of a cardiologist, the late cardiologist, unfortunately, is some time ago, American cardiologist. His name was Kenneth Kenzie. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book, which could be found on Amazon for peanuts uh, now, called The Blood Thinner Cure. Oh, yes. And um, it's pretty good, pretty interesting book. So what he did is he went out and he analysed 
all the usual cardiovascular markers. So cholesterol, HbA1c, um, homocysteine, triglycerides, all the things that, you know, we've come across. Um, and um, he decided in the end, he, he evaluated them all. And he said, there are two markers, he said, that are head and shoulders more important than any other marker. And those were blood viscosity and arterial stiffness. Now, blood viscosity, in other words, keep your blood a bit thin. You don't want it too thick. And you want to keep your arteries soft and pliable, within reason, of course. Mm. Now, at the time, he didn't know what to recommend to keep arteries softer. And that's actually where I reached out to him with Dr. Wardine. And we had a conversation and we were able to share some data with him. Um, and he had some pretty simple advice in the book, like take aspirin, drink water, stop smoking, don't drink too much alcohol, that sort of thing. Give blood. Um, give exactly give blood. Now, if I may, I don't know if you if you've already told this story to your folks, I'll shut up. Nice. But but I got this from the great Jonathan Wright, Dr. Jonathan Wright, the man I have extreme uh, respect for. Mm-hmm. Um, he's written many books, many subjects. And he told me this story uh, many years ago. So a man to the age of about 50 has twice the risk of a heart attack or stroke of a woman up to the age of about 50. Okay, but past the age of 50, women catch us up and even can overtake us. So what on earth is going on around the age of 50 for a woman that makes her change her condition? Well, Principally, it's menopause, of course. Now, yes, we can argue that the loss of estrogen in the woman, it is protective. Mm. And therefore, that she is at risk by lowering her estrogens. I will accept that. But she also does something else. She stops giving blood. Stops having periods. So. So. So what? So how does is there any other evidence? Well, yes, there is a man up to the age of 50 at least, who donates a pint of blood every six months at the blood bank, halves his risk of a heart attack or stroke. Everybody listen to that carefully. Right? (laughs) All Now, what I don't know, people have often said to me, what happens if a woman does that? I haven't seen the data. I'm going to presume that even her goes down. Now, why would that be? Mm. I think two reasons. Firstly, you are getting rid of some toxins. Mm, Go back to the old days, there was bloodletting. And a certain amount of bloodletting seemed to have a beneficial effect. Of course, they went too far, took too much blood out of the patient. (laughs) So a lady every month is getting rid of some toxins, right? Mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. what the man can't do that. But secondly, we're forcing our bodies of bone marrow to produce more blood. Mm. And in the manufacture of that new blood, the blood is thinned. The blood becomes less viscous. I just had Dr. Christian Drapeau on, and he's a stem cell scientist. Um, my brain just went, hmm, when you're producing more blood, are you also producing more stem cells? Therefore, I don't know. I'm just I hypothesizing so. a connection there. I, I wonder. Think so. Funny enough, funny enough, I've got to add this. Sorry, Lisa, to add this in. With the bioregulators, we're beginning to see evidence that the folks who are using 
the bone marrow peptide, there is a bone marrow peptide, are seeing greater activity of their own stem cells. Brilliant. Okay. And, would, and that would follow with what you were just saying. Yeah. Yeah. So Dr. Christian, go and check his work out, actually. Um so he has a has a product that he's been um, uh, that I'm now selling too is Stem Regen, and it mobilizes more stem cells out of the bone marrow. So it's using things like sea buckthorn uh, berries and um, mac uh, aloe macroplata and fucus something or other, um, a few different things that he studied to mobilize more stem cells. So maybe this bio uh, bioregulator combined with they would yeah. be better, wouldn't it? Like I, more stem cells, better. I've also heard that lithium orotate. Oh, yeah, which is good for lithium orotate can have all sorts of other benefits. Anyone, yeah, depression, example, will know about lithium orotate. So it's nice to have, but it, that's what it's all about. It's it's getting the facts mm. and having those choices, yeah. and then acting upon them. You know, and I, what I love. I just love connecting the dots, you know, like when you start to talk to people and this is the beauty of what you and I do. We get to talk to different people from different because we were talking off air about, you know, when you're a professor and you're deep in the one thing, you're an expert in the one thing. And yeah. the beauty of what we do is that we get to interview everybody about all of the things. Keep an <laughs> open mind. Trades. Yeah. That's why I suggest that. Keep an open mind. You might not understand it. You might not believe it. But rather than poo-poo it, park it somewhere and just and one day you might draw it out and say oh hang on that goes with what i heard and i didn't believe it when i first heard professor cabinson lecture in istanbul i i remember that one time it happened to me his lecture was followed by coffee break and everybody left the auditorium but i didn't i sat on my seat because i was trying to compute what i just heard and and i was literally saying to myself well either this is the biggest load of bs i've ever heard or this is one of the most fantastic things I've ever come across. And it took me the best part of a year or two, having met him again, having started to read some of his papers and talking to other people, when I finally went, Jesus, I think there's really something here, you know. So, you know, all of us take time to change the our process. minds. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just the way nature of things. Yeah. But somebody once said, to put a joke into it, never poo-poo a poo-poo. <laughs> Love it. Love it. but it, it is a, is a privilege of of the sort of work that we do and you much more deeper and more um at a higher level than i do but you 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 get to meet and uh you you get to be across a lot of the science uh, to a not so deep degree but you've got an, uh, an understanding and sometimes you can make connections then because you're Hmm, that would that that plus that could be very interesting, and maybe I'll connect those two people. <laughs> they might Absolutely. be interested. No, it's lovely when that happens, it's Isn't lovely it? when that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it's how really program really made actually. <laughs> yeah, I think it's beautiful that when that when those sorts of, and that's why I think you know it doesn't matter so much that you know I don't have a medical uh, background per se, as in the traditional sense. Um, but you, uh, you, 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 you're also not confined by that one way of learning. I, I did three degrees, and um, what I know today, uh, 95% of what I know today had nothing to do with any of them. Yeah. Because it's, it's what just, you did learn. That was what yeah, probably. Taught, taught certain ways of doing things. But, but outside of that, 
you know, it, it, and this field is changing so fast that if you don't watch the videos, read the books, go to the go to the conferences, you're going to get left behind. You know, yeah. it's as simple. Now let's come back just briefly to the bioregulators because we still haven't done them justice on <laughs> what they do. <laughs> and let's just go through some of the, the systems. So we've talked about the thyroid one. Tell me about the thymus. Uh, no, let's go for the pineal gland because that is the one that's up top yeah. most yeah. important, should be yeah. in most of the protocols. Absolutely. Well, what we're seeing is, I think I alluded to it earlier, we're seeing people increase their own endogenous production of melatonin. And we're also, which with its consequential benefits, and we're also seeing increases in telomere length. And I think that's primarily down to the pineal gland. Now, Bill, Bill Lawrence is currently writing and putting together a new PowerPoint where he's going to talk about how these different peptide bioregulators are causing organ regeneration, Mm -hmm. which I think is going to be big. Okay, I can't say any more about that yet because I haven't even seen it myself yet. But, mm. but you know, it, it's very specific. You can say, well, you've got 21 things here, glands, some tissues, some organs, uh, and they're having an impact on those, uh, on those uh, materials. Um, but they're quite specific. It is easier to explain the glandular ones because, for example, there is an adrenal uh, uh bioregulate now the adrenal glands produce a lot of hormones you have your dhea and your cortisol and your uh, aldosterone and lots and lots of different ones so you do get a, a quite a cross balancing of when you take the adrenal and i mentioned the adrenal because of all the uh bioregulators i i either personally used or uh, i know of people who've used them that one is one where people talk to me very quickly and say, wow, that made a difference. Wow, okay. I mean, like within a month, they're saying, ah, this is a real difference here. Of course, I've got people who do their before and after tests. They take their testosterone before and they take their testosterone after. And, you know, we've seen improvements across the board in the majority of people. So um, it's it's difficult. You know, when it comes to anti-aging, people are, what's the best single thing you can do, you know? Uh, and health is like a pyramid. I always yeah. think of health as a pyramid. If you, the, you've got to do the basics. You've got to have a base to the pyramid, right? So if you, you've got to be eating decently, you've got to be exercising okay, you've got to be de-stressing. You know, if you're not doing those things, what's the point in trying to put any more material on top? You know, none of this is an excuse to eat McDonald's every day and have 14 pints of beer, Yeah, right? Exactly. It doesn't fix that. You know, I'm not saying you can't have a little bit of excess here and there. I mean, that's, you know, you, you, you've got to be doing the basics. Yeah. So once you've got your house in order, as it were, the base, now you start building on it. You could you could really start seeing some spectacular results. What we don't know yet, of course, is by how much human longevity will be increased. You know, whether we there is too a, long, can't test it yet. <laughs> we, we don't really know. I think most people would agree it may not matter how long we live, providing that all the years we have are vital and we remain independent, lucid and agile, right? Love that. Because if you've got those things, you've got everything. Yeah. And as someone who's lived with disability for the last seven, eight years with mum, you know, it's really, really tough 
yeah. on, on the loved ones and on the person when you're not completely fully independent and she's pretty bloody good, but still, you know, high, high needs. Um, and nobody wants that. If I could have prevented that for her, God, you know, that'd be wonderful. And nobody wants that slow decline and being a pain and, you know, and, and, and not being independent. And it's a mentality we have to shift because when you say to people, oh, what are you doing? So I'm really into longevity medicine. They kind of go, it's, yeah. you're crazy because they are automatically assuming the older you are, the more decrepit you are. Yeah. Therefore, this what's is, the point? We're stopping the decrepitness. Exactly. <laughs> they don't want another six years in a care home. No, no. that's not the point. <laughs> exactly. We we want to prevent you ever having to be in a place like that because you'll still be driving a car at a hundred and still be out yeah. in the garden and still and then maybe you come in from the garden one day, sit down and drop dead. That would be the ideal, wouldn't it? Like yeah. Yeah. rather than the slow deterioration. I'd be controversial. Do you mind me being controversial? No, go for it. Sometimes it upsets people, but this is a generality, and therefore, as all generalities, it's not true for everybody. Um in my career, when I talk about older people, men and women are different on one level. In the main, men want to keep their performance. They feel threatened by younger men, whether that's in the workplace or in the bedroom, and they want to keep a good standard of performance. Women want to look good in the main, <laughs> yeah. right? And I think a lot of men would sacrifice. I'm not saying they don't want to look good, but they don't care too much if they lose their hair or just providing they maintain their performance. Mm. So as a generality, I find I find that's true. Yep. Uh, so I'm not saying there's, there's pros and cons against both those. Well, both things. both lead to an anti-aging regime because if you want to if you look older on the outside, your skin's sagging, your hair, you know, you you're graying, all of those things are signs of things that are going on on the inside. Really? And therefore, uh, you know, they are a re- true reflection of your internal age, are, biological age. Right. Biological age measures. I've got to tell yeah, you one yeah. of my true story. So it was a long time ago now. I had a couple of my girls go down to the big health show in London at Olympia, and people were coming off the underground station. And as they were going into the show, there was some kind of quiz or competition, win a prize, I can't remember now. And they asked them two questions. And they said, just, is it, you know, what, please give me your answer. So we asked people, as they, this was some time ago. I hope it's not as bad now. Perhaps actually we ought to do it again to see if it's changed. So they asked different people, excuse me, if I, if I told you about anti-aging medicine, um, do you think it, you'd want it? And the answers were no, because I'm too old for it. <laughs> and the, the main answers and no, because I'm too young for it. Right. <laughs> which was really funny because it made us wonder what's the right age you have to be 48.6 maybe i don't know <laughs> but we just found it really weird that these people either thought they were too young or too old yeah to benefit, yeah you know, and, and, and neither's true you know like aging starts like in that dunedin pace study they can already tell from the three-year-olds who's aging faster that's, that's amazing a very controversial point about when does aging start you know if a baby's born because some people say, well, if we classify aging as a disease and a baby's born, you can't say it's got a disease. I don't know. The Catholic Church says it's full of sin. And that's, <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, that's a bit controversial to say that. Um, but I mean, 
But there is one thing, and I, the late great pharmacologist by the name of Joseph Knoll from Hungary, brilliant, brilliant man, uh, who, who died well into his 90s, I'm, I'm pleased to say. And I, I could tell you many things about Joseph, but he, I think, put it very succinctly because ended up asking him, when does aging start? And at puberty, because, mm. and the reason for that is the moment we turn around sort of 13, the first gland that atrophies is our fibre gland, mm. right? So it's almost like Mother Nature saying, you're ready to procreate, so therefore we start winding you down. So, so some people say it starts at puberty. I think wow. I personally think that's probably pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah, and and when our hormones change is when we start to notice it. So often in our thirties to forties, we start going, "Oh, we're not repairing as well. We're not doing this as well. What the hell's happening to me?" Uh, and and you know, there's a there's a whole raft of things that we've been talking about and. Um, but that's when you need to be doubling down on the stuff, you know, and the earlier you start, and I think we do need to be teaching our kids to eat better, you know, like if I think about the amount of sugar I ate as a kid, I'm horrified now looking back. My parents didn't know any better. Um, horrified, you know, and, and that's probably not done me too well, you know, and it's probably why I don't have asthma now when I had asthma when I was younger and, and things like that, not just the sugar, but other things. Just interrupting the show to let you know about my longevity and anti-aging supplement range. I'd love you to go and check it out. Go to my website, lisatarmity.com and hit the shop button and you'll see a curated range of supplements, the latest in anti-aging, longevity, health optimization, performance optimization. I've gone out into the world, interviewed the most amazing doctors and scientists, as you'll know if you follow the show, and gone and got some of the best products that are out there. Stuff that I give to my family, that's what's in my range. So go and check it out at lisatarmaty.com. Um, but coming back to the, the bioregulators, so we've gone through the pineal, the adrenal, the thymus, um, the ovary one. Tell me about the ovary one. As someone who's uh, middle of menopause, yeah. is well, this going to slow thing, things down? Yeah. First of all, back to what we said earlier, doesn't do anything for men because they haven't got any ovaries, mm. right? Uh, and same way the testes one doesn't work for women because they haven't got any testes. So just be aware of that. And the prostrate is the only other one that is not going to work in the ladies, obviously. Um, but the ovary one appears to have a, a, a balancing factor on both estrogens and progesterone. OK, and I think the progesterone side of it is really important because mm. and this is the work of Dr. Jonathan Wright, who wrote a brilliant book that was originally titled Don't Give Your Doctor. Don't let your doctor give you horse urine because that is <laughs> the progestins. Yeah, exactly. Come from that's another yeah. story. Women's health today. initiative disaster. Right. Yeah. yeah. So not bioidentical, right? It's mm -hmm. not natural in a horse, but it's not natural. I had a doctor yeah. last week tell my client there is no such thing as bioidentical. Which really? went to took a Dutch well, test and said, "Can any. I?" <laughs> they haven't found there's, any yet. Yeah. Oh, anyway. <laughs> no, I. Did. Well, they're not shown, you see, until the pharmaceutical rep comes in and says, oh, by the way, we've got this. Um, you know, there, 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 was, there were at least three studies that show that giving um, bioidentical progesterone uh, in women with breast cancer is very effective. Mm. And yet most um, oncologists will, will recoil in horror if you were to suggest it, because, of course, the synthetic drug does exactly the opposite. 
and they're the mm -hmm. ones that they are familiar with. Um, so yeah, very, very different. So the good thing about the, the, the bioregulator ovary is you're going to get a rebalancing of estrogens and a rebalancing of progesterone. And I just emphasize progesterone because during menopause, um, estrogens, three principal estrogens, I know there's breakdowns of that, but you've got um, estriol, which is the weakest one. Dr. Jonathan Wright reckons the average, average, if that's the right term to use, woman produces 90%. It's the anti-carcinogenic mild estrogen. Then you've got estradiol, uh, which is about 7% of the average woman's production. And then you've got estrone, which is 3%. Those go into decline. And you can often see a lady at uh, the other end of menopause, perhaps producing 60 or 70% less of those hormones, okay? Mm. But with progesterone, they often go to 90 zero. something percent. Even yeah. lower, even yep. zero. Wow. Okay? Yet many doctors, even those who believe in HRT or NHRT, natural hormone replacement therapy, I wouldn't say they, they do, but the ones that do regular HRT often ignore progesterone. Mm. Yes, you must be on progesterone if you're going to be absolutely. on estrogen. It's if the ladies want to get into this out there, get the books of Dr. John Lee, who he had two books, What Your Doctor Won't Tell You About Menopause, they were both called. So that is a really good insight in, yep. into this. Absolutely. And I'm seeing progesterone levels dropping in 20-something-year-olds and 30-something-year-olds now, which is unusual. Like it seems to be dropping off a cliff earlier. And, of course, that's, you know, your anxiety and all that sort of stuff goes up when your progesterone drops. I think we've got a couple of issues at play here. We've got what the UN referred to as endocrine disruptors. Mm, exactly. So you've got plastics yep. and pseudoestrogens in the water supply, in the food. What isn't in plastic? The water's yep. wrapped in plastic. The sandwiches are wrapped in plastic, right? There are big problems there. Plastics in the sea, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's a, that's a big problem. You've also got if you're drinking the tap water for our American friends, the faucet water, then you are drinking uh, the drugs that your neighbours are using because the local um, um, sewage plants do not have the facilities to remove mainstream medicines from the water. OK, and. Even though you might say, yes, but, you know, the level of uh, uh, Viagra or Prozac or any other or statins is in the millions and billions. And that is true. But how much water do you drink every day? How often do you drink water? What happens in five years? What happens in 10? What about children? What about pregnant women? What about, right, it goes on and on, doesn't yeah. it? Yep. Germans, some years ago, they went randomly to their states and they tested their tap water and they found traces of all the major prescription drugs in it. Wow. And what is the number one prescription drug? Oral contraceptives. Exactly. Estrogens. Mm. Exactly. Mm. And everybody's exactly. getting it. And what happens, what happens to young, look at the young boys. And, uh, you know, the, the, you've got a lot more estrogen dominant uh, phenotypes. You, you, you're seeing that more. 
But I think it's just understanding these influences that we're living in this toxic environment, the soup. And so we need to, you know, be supporting our bodies as best we can, which I've talked about ad nauseum on the show. A non-medical friend approached me the other day and said, if he was to invest in anything in medicine, what would I invest in? And I didn't mean to sound facetious when I said it, but I said I'd probably look into fertility clinics. I think we're <laughs> going to see an explosion in them. You know, yep. men, and, men and women are going to struggle to have children. Yep, yep. As someone who's been through a long, long, long fertility journey, um, and I I wonder how much um, my problems were related to one being on the oral contraceptive since the age of 13 because I had problems with the period and what were those problems where it turns out I had endometriosis and adenomyosis and fibroids later on you know uh, and now I understand all that and then you add on an extreme sports career onto top of that um, and I couldn't have kids you know and I waited a little bit too long I think um, so but but this is a unfortunate you know how many people are doing themselves this disservice, yeah. you know? Yeah. And we're seeing that drop off a cliff. Um, so is there any other the bioregulators? Oh, I did want to talk to you about spermidine because spermidine is one of my favourite topics and I'm actually hopefully bringing out a spermidine supplement shortly. Yeah. Um, what's your take on spermidine and, you know, do you think that should be part of a, a good regime? Yeah, I mean, you know, Everybody's regime is different. I mean, at the end of the day, um, I'm, I'm not talking about the basics, you know, not drinking clean water and eating. That's, we should all take that for granted. But in terms of the next level of the pyramid, you know, the additional level, shall we say, um, it depends what you want to do. It's, everything in life comes down to cost and convenience, doesn't it? Yeah. How, how inconvenient, how costly, you you make the choice. Um but spermidine is getting a lot of people excited, uh, principally, I think, although I've heard the ladies say better skin, better hair, better nails, um, I think principally because it's action to improve autophagy, which is the natural cleaning of cells. Um, I would, I'm a big fan of Bill Falloon. Bill mm. Falloon is the founder of the Life Extension Foundation in America. Bill also runs the Age Reversal Network. You can go and find it on, on online, of course. And he's trying to get people together to go into these clinical trials where, for the first time, multiple things will be used. Not wow. necessarily drugs, could be supplements. And he's got what, and I'm going to feature it in our Aging Matters magazine, uh, maybe the next one, but fairly soon, uh, hopefully this year anyway, um, where he's got a thing called the biological, uh, the stair-step approach to biological age control. So he's got several steps and the steps have a different terminology. So I do a couple of the early ones. You've got activate AMPK, yeah. right? You've got a second step, which would be improve autophagy, mm-hmm. right? You have a third step, which would be mTOR. Uh, you have another step, which would be uh, reduce senescent cells, actually removing dead cells mm. from the body. So what I would suggest is that spermidine has a very prominent place on one of those biological steps. NM, um, NAD is one of his steps. Improve yes. your NAD NME, level. Yep, yep, 
we do right. a lot of that as well. NMN and yep. there are things as well, of course, yep. but that's supplement. Big so, on yes. the NMN. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think spermidine is on one of those steps as a very prominent, uh, very prominent uh, supplement. Yeah, and so autophagy is the getting rid of the recycling sort of process of getting rid of damaged cells and stuff. And this is so, so, so critical. And and it actually hits, you know, so many of the hallmarks of aging spermidine. So I'm really excited about it as, a, you know, everything from immunity to cardiovascular to, you know, uh, to skin hair and all of that sort of thing, plus getting rid of these, you know. Can I look at it? I look cells. at it like pruning. You, know, <laughs> you prune you're... out the... The bad if stuff. You're gardening, if you don't deadhead your roses, they're not going to grow as well, are they? Yeah, exactly. And so, autophagy and the removal of senescent cells is kind of like our pruning. Yep, yep, exactly. And then there's things like rapamycin, which is also very exciting, but it's a drug and you have to have that prescribed. It's got very um, interesting benefits on the senolytic side of things, getting rid of those those damaged cells. Um, so, all of this is just, just absolutely. Great, isn't Anybody it? Anybody wants to get into rapamycin, very good new book out by Dr. Ross Pelton, mm. uh, available on Kindle as well, so that's very cheap. Um, I, I, I've forgotten exactly what he calls it, but it's got rapamycin in the okay. title. I'll have a look so at that too. Get hold of I've one got of a lot person. of reading after this interview. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, yeah, no, this is just fabulous because you, you, you're up on everything, like literally you're all over the place. I, I have my moments of procrastination, don't worry. So <laughs> as this, that top shelf behind me is books I haven't read yet. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> like me. I've got all these amazing things that I've got to get through. And and I find it easier to digest like podcasts and things because you can do it on the go when you're running or you're uh, driving or anything, well, you know. For me, that's what holidays are for. Yes, well, I'm gosh. Sure. When was the last time I had a holiday? I with a book, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh look i could talk to you for hours full i definitely want to have you back on if you'll you'll uh you know do me the honor of coming back on um because i, I do want to dive into walter yeah. Piapaldi's work and and maybe some of this you know rapamycin stuff and i i also wanted to talk to you about acp 228 what's that yeah. Actually, we just briefly ACF, touched on that. acf yeah acf, ACF sorry uh, acf 228 Ultimate formula for um, free radical control. Is yeah. that available? Is that a thing that's yes. available? Yes, 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 it is. Yes, it's a, it's a nutritional thing, but it's got lots of good stuff in it. Okay, and, where do you get that? Because that was new to my radar. You, so you I was just listening. What are your Profound, profound will have it. So profound health. Yep. Yeah. Okay, and we're going to put links. And now I have um, your team has uh, helped me set up some stuff, and you've got. Uh, explain your complicated uh, web presence because it is like we need to uh, uh, explain it to people so that they can understand where they go to get the science and where they go to buy the stuff. Sure, sure, absolutely no problem. So what we have is the master site is antiagingsystems.com and you can spell it with an E or without an E. So um, that's not a problem. So my eldest brother, being very British, likes to wind me up when I see him say, and he says to me, are you still doing the anti-agging? Because most of the without me for our yeah. American friends. But anyway, so that's the master. That's, that has been the longest, that website has been up since the early 90s or mid-90s. Um, we have literally hundreds of articles, interviews, videos, all that sort of good stuff. 
um, with references, with references. As I know sometimes Amazing. there's too much there, but you can look up what you want. Um, and if you want to, it will take you to stores where you can buy those products. But that is an information site. It is not a selling site. Okay. And then you can go to uh, profoundhealth.com, which is uh, a nutrition site. And a lot of the peptides are there, not all of them, but a lot the ones we've spoken about, the bioregulators are there. There's also profoundsupplements.com, which is the American site. So if you want to buy those products that you can buy freely in America, like DHEA and melatonin and things like that, that's where they are. And then we have a hardcore site called the anti-aging store where you will find certain medicines and what I would refer to as grey products. Uh, you know, they're not, they're not one foot in one camp and one foot in another. Uh, that's there. But you, but the go-to site, oh, and by the way, there's a magazine site. Yes, tell us. Atters.com. Folks Aging can go matters. there, yep. register, download digital copies for free or pay 10 bucks and have one sent to you if that's what you prefer to have a physical one. And, um, but the go-to site is antiagingsystems.com because you'll find all the information there. And if you find something you like, it will offer you a link saying buy from an approved store and it will take you to the store. Excellent. So that, that explains because <laughs> I've been like confused this hell for the last few weeks. It, it, it's complicated because what we do is truly international. Yes. There's I no get it now. that we can put all these things in. It's just not possible. So today we're operating from the UK, we're operating from Hong Kong, we're operating from Taipei, and we've just started in Dubai. So each place is doing different products. Different jurisdictions, different things that are allowed, and therefore this complicatedness with with the thing. But that's fabulous that we're having access to these things, and then you'll have to check whether it's allowed in your country that you're listening to. Um, and that's up to you then. Um, and, and always, you know, this is uh, education only. Please do work with your medical professionals. I have to keep, you know, reinforcing that. Um, unfortunately, there's not enough medical professionals often to find. So that's always a struggle. And we're trying to, you know, change change things there and get more people educated on these things. And this is just, uh, you know, it's fabulous. It's absolutely amazing. Is there anything that you'd like to add that you're super excited, what we don't, something we don't know about that's coming down the line, anything that you just want to add there, Phil? Well, um, I'm following this um, stair-step approach to biological age control closely because it's maybe one of the first times that multiple things have been brought together in individuals to see what happens to these people, healthy people, healthy aging people over time. I'm still learning about the peptide bioregulators. I think there's still more to come. Others will undoubtedly come to the fore. Um, They may need Professor Cavinson's blessing to be signed off as bioregulators, but I think there's still a lot more to learn. And peptides in general are a very exciting field, providing the authorities don't slap us down and break it. The trouble is, you alluded earlier that, you know, a lot of the peptides, the long chain peptides need to be injected or perhaps used intranasally. 
unfortunately, even if that was vitamin C, if you go down that route, you make it a drug. Yeah. Right. You and inject it's just it, it yep. becomes a drug. Right. So that's that's one of the things. So the fact that the bioregulators do work orally are in foods is hopefully a strong indicator that they will remain as food supplements. It's very, very important. Food supplements. Yeah. You know, in the UK, the MHRA, who control the medicines, actually have in their um, edict a statement where it says that any chemical that has a biochemical change within the body, they consider to be a drug. Anything. Well, anything. So that is sunlight, that is water, oh that is God. food, that is exercise. It's a ridiculous it's a ridiculous statement. statement, but they can grab back to that if they want to be a pain in the butt with the regulations. And, and, you know. and, I, and you know that laughter is the best medicine, so I think we'll need a prescription for that soon. <laughs> we won't be able to fart like soon. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be illegal. <laughs> you know, this is where over, you know, over overreach in these things is scary and damaging. And uh, hopefully there'll be, you know, um, good regulation we need good regulation not bad regulation in so many spaces and uh yeah hopefully the regulators will do a good job i'm not holding my breath so <laughs> uh phil thank you so much for your time today it's been absolute uh an honor to meet you uh you're a bit of a star in this space so a little bit fangirling around um but just absolutely wonderful so thank you very much thank you lisa and uh Hope to get down there to lovely New Zealand again one of these days. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends. Head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatamati.com.